Rabia. Hey, Ellen. How you doing? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little out of breath. Yeah. Well, why yeah. are you out of breath? I just had to grab something from a different room in my house, and my house is huge, you know. But I thought, <laughs> I thought you worked out. Oh, I do. I don't do a lot of cardio. I can lift you over my head, though, as people witnessed recently. You couldn't yes. lift me. You couldn't lift me. I, I had I'll a never very forget precarious. That. I had a very precarious dress on, Rabia. It was you did not set me up oh, for success. Blame the dress. Okay. That's but true, this is actually so funny because the guest we have today, we actually saw this past weekend in Dallas. However, she has been on our list to record since 1902. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have we rescheduled this recording? Like Janet Varney, first of all, is here and she's yes. gorgeous. She looks like a Disney character, but I have entered and deleted you so many times from my phone i feel like we're in a weird relationship janet's hard to get a hold of man she's like i'm not available folks i'm just not hold on hold on there were <laughs> Is that how it went things down? happening on all sides on oh i'm not all blaming sides. you i'm not blaming but you it was it was I a was mutual cluster yeah you were trying to I I do remember that first telegram I got back in 1902 <laughs> when I had just found out that you could communicate with we people who weren't right next to you. And we sent you pigeons too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful Janet, times. it is beautiful 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. where you are, and you look like you're actually dressed. I am never dressed at 9 a.m. Like I'm in my uh, PJs. I'm kind of mm -mm. in my PJs. Mm -mm. No, this not dressed? I just here's the thing. As we all know, I mostly saw both of you beautiful women from a distance, um, except for like I, I think like I touched you once. Rabia I think I put and my 30 hand, second, yeah. yeah, 30 separate seconds with Rabia, 30 seconds. And you both looked fucking gorgeous. And I was like, oh, I could, like this is what I should be wearing. Like I should be wearing fabulous, <laughs> you beautiful clothes. <laughs> Like instead of like, you Ellen know. likes to Ellen likes to dress. She's on like like she's on the red carpet when we go to McDonald's. Look, you just can't. Oh my god! So that's why I had to. I was like, mm -mm, gotta like. I need to like get up early enough to like put something on. I gotta put some colorful on. I mean, it is like a nineteen seventies like weird collared like polyester beautiful. shirt that I got in Brussels. Did you hear that? <laughs> oh, thrift shops in Brussels. That's yes. a successful. I don't know. Um, wait, Ellen, say something, because I don't think we can... Are you muted? <gasps> Ellen, say oh, something. Oh, Ellen, I this is a, a weekly a weekly wait, thing. Wait, am I muted? You were Not the anymore. whole time. Were you being funny? Honest, I, no. Yeah, we just didn't hear Have you. I spoken I, this whole time? No. I mean, I'm trying to think of the last thing you said. On, she, honestly, I can't remember. In one year, <laughs> it's been that she said clusterfuck. She said it's been a clusterfuck trying to okay. schedule. Yes. Nothing beyond yes. that. That's so yes. weird. Yes. I haven't touched anything. There is somebody, somebody there's a gremlin. Ghost. Gilbert the gremlin. There's a frogger. No. A frogging. A frogger? frogger. Is that what they're called? Janet, do you know what frogging is? No. Oh, just remain oh, no. in What's frogging? Don't tell her. Joey and I are covering a show on I Think Not called Frogging. And um, I just, I, it is when people live in your home and you don't know they're there. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, that's not a thing. So that's yeah, that's our new fascination. But do you yeah, have an addict? I mean, Janet? I know, do you listen, have an addict? Obviously, that, that could absolutely addict. happen. That could happen in Rabia's house. We all know it's like eighty stories. Yes. She barely gets into some of those guest rooms, <laughs> mm -hmm. the servants' quarters. She's yeah. not. I know she's not servants, so they're just empty, sitting there. I'm the sure pool she's house, not frogs, frogs, frogs. 
I'm sure she's, it's packed full of frogs. I don't have, I would know. My house is small. I would know if someone was living in my house. Wouldn't I? Or would I? That's what everyone says, Janet. They could be in the walls, Janet. They could be literally in the walls. But let us introduce you all to (laughs) Janet Barney. I have so many things that I want to talk about, but Rabia, let's give our listeners a brief bio on Janet because literally I know she's done everything I mean okay Emmy nominated actor comedian writer producer award-winning voice of Cora a Nickelodeon's legend of Cora I'm just trying to like figure out what to pull I mean it's just let's see spent seven years hosting TBS's dinner and a movie um she's recurred on HBO's Entourage been in How I Met Your Mother American Housewife Shameless Key and Peele Key and Peele oh my lord I mean it just a podcasting you're on bob ruff's truth and justice podcast um and you also like you co-wrote and created neil patrick harris's uh puppet dreams series which is amazing i don't know there's just so much you do improv sketch comedy i i it's what do you not do i think that would have been an easier bio to deal with yeah let me let me suggest this if mm-hmm. I had been on a hit show as a series regular and it had been like, then my bio would just be like, she was on Friends. Because uh-huh. then right. you don't have to ever do anything ever again. You just wait for the checks to roll in. But it's a gig economy. And <laughs> I feel like yeah. both of you understand what it feels like to be like, well, I like this thing, but and I also like this thing. And maybe that thing over there is fun. And like, my br- my you brain just sort of keep like saying that, yeah. yes to stuff. But then, you, then you're like, oh, I... It, w- it would be different if, you know, if I was just like working 16 hours a day on like a hit show and then right. there I had all the money and then no time. But that's not been the case for me. <laughs> so but this to me is so much more of different things, so much more fun and interesting and fulfilling as a life and career. I mean, I'm drawn to people because that's exactly how I am where I'm there is no certain my lane. I'm in every yeah. lane I want to be. I'll just do whatever yeah. I feel like. <laughs> it's good yes. at the moment. Yes. Fun at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Love it. I love that. I want to take a minute to talk about um, Cora. So Legend of Cora. The, the reason I want to talk about it is that whole world. So you got a taste of the true crime world this weekend. That animation, uh-huh. anime, sci-fi <laughs> world, that is a whole, that is like, that is the Roman Empire. It is, it, it is so bananas and I want to know what it's like working in that world but I love voice actors like Christopher was the narrator for um, one of the shows we covered and I'm so fascinated by how important voice acting is and just how important to the story it is so can you just talk a little bit about that because Cora is your voice right yeah, I, I, that was a situation in which, you know, you sort of that was one of my first voiceover jobs. And um, I knew that they had like I had started getting voiceover auditions because of being in comedy and like being coming from sketch and stuff like that. And so that was definitely one where like I thought, you know, like what fun, wacky cartoon jobs am I going to be up for? Like what silly right. voices can I come up with? And I so I went into audition for that and they were like, no, 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 no. No, just really mostly your voice, like maybe a little less manic, maybe a little like tighter of a range. So you're not like, oh, my God, you guys like that is, you know, because she's not a crazy freak like I am. But um, for the most part, yeah, entirely my voice. And um, 
Yeah, it's 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 a, a voice actors. I agree with you, Ellen. And voice actors in particular, not to say a mean word about like actor actors, but there is something. It's like this very known thing in the voice acting community where voice actors are just so chill. They're so humble. They're just not like they're just the competitiveness is sort of somehow not present the way mm-hmm. it is with like on screen or stage actors where the the industry has like pitted you against each other. Like they're enforcing the idea of like if you don't get this job, someone else will. And that'll, they're taking your job. And for some reason, that just doesn't seem to exist with voiceover like. I can't tell you how many times like I'll be in a room and people will be like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you got that. Like I read for that one and I, I had you in my mind when I was re- like, it's just very generous of spirit. And um, so it's a delightful group of people to be around. And you see that play out at Comic-Cons, too, like in those sort of worlds. Like I'm so but I, also, you know, there are people who do like who get a great job doing a, a voiceover for video game. But there it's like a buxom gun-toting character <laughs> and then and then you're interacting with like a different potentially a different type of fan like the right, fan who wants right. to meet that Lara Croft may not be the same are you saying there's never any like sabotaging in the voiceover industry like I'm just gonna I'm gonna like lick this person's coffee with some strep throat something <laughs> I mean like like you're just trying to like sabotage so. are there any rivalries I mean, you you and voiceover. Well, honestly, I don't think so. Like, really, because every is it because everybody's so unique and everybody kind of has their niche. Is that why, or is it well, just everybody's so I, well established? I, I or I don't know. It's. I mean, I genuinely don't know why mm. because because there are people life, who work and, and are in everything. Like, I have friends yeah. who get all the jobs. Like, and 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 that I should resent that, but for some reason, <laughs> it just doesn't feel personal. Um, at all and and it's just very easy to be yeah. like well you're a genius and that again I'm not trying to like separate the on-screen and, and off-screen acting yeah. community like that what do you specifically prefer- well, okay. or severely but but I love doing both if you're asking me what I prefer doing yeah. I love doing both yeah, because gonna- this feeling of community on a set or on stage Ellen you know what I'm talking about like the family of doing a show together mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. It's just a different experience than being in a voiceover booth. And if you're lucky, you're recording with your cast and then you have like two people in the booth on the other side who are funny and nice. Mm. But it's not the same as like, guys, we made a show. We're doing a thing. We're making right. a show like you're none of us could be here if we didn't have each other. Like I like the sort of spirit of that, I think, more. But it's also you real people joke that you can go and record a voiceover in your pajamas and that's also true and that's yeah that's really appealing mm. yeah. that's why we love podcasting that part is really yeah. fun yeah. yes exactly yeah, yeah. exactly and it scratches those and there's and you're in the podcasting world which is probably exactly the same there's no animosity <laughs> or bad blood here either it's perfect I, we're one I big get, happy family I gotta go it's um, great it's great rabia lumi deodorant is back created by an OBGYN to take care of all the odors that isn't just in your underarms, because turns out there's other stinky places. There are? I never knew that. You mean all those folds in our body? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can get a little ripe too. Yes, the whole body deodorant is the first of its kind. It is safe to use anywhere on your body. You got your pits, you got your underboobs, you got your thigh folds, you got your belly buttons, your butt crack, your vulva, your feet, wherever you feel like you need a little support in the smelly department because an OBGYN saw firsthand how normal 
body odor was being misdiagnosed and treated. Yeah, people were like, I've got deodorant on my pits. Why do I still, like, why am I attracting flies? But the thing about Lumi is that it's formulated with mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. So it's kind of like a pre-odorant. Exactly. And pH balanced, aluminum free, baking soda free, paraben free. And their starter pack is really awesome. I travel with a lot of the pieces in their starter pack. It's perfect for a new customer. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, the cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice. I like the mini body wash and the deodorant wipes are a must for your purse or backpack or gym bag. People know this about me in the podcast space that um, I just like to smell really good. And I read, I read some research from Lumi that says 12 hours after a shower, the average person has an odor level of six out of 10. Holy moly. But with Lumi, the average odor level is zero out of 10. So I am Lumied to the max. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code solve the case at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use the code solve the case. That's lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant.com and use the code solve the case. But tell us a little bit about your podcasting and then we'll jump into uh, three quick things. Sure, sure. Um, it's funny, I feel like I've already gotten my three quick things just by virtue of like- mm. Yeah, I know, asking, uh, yeah. I've already talked about myself too much. As I no, guess we have saying. like 80, 85 more questions, so it's fine. Uh, mm, 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 Shenandoah Park. Mostly. Um, what? Yeah. Well, uh, so I've been podcasting for many years. I started a podcast in 2010, Ooh, I think, okay. called The wow. JV Club. Uh, Robbie, you've been on it. Ellen, don't yes, think you're going to escape my grasp, um, where I talk to people about their awkward teenage years. And that has been such a joy. And I started that because when I moved to L.A. from San Francisco, where I, I was never going to move to L.A. and be in the business, I was like, I, that's all like it's all the wrong. You have to have value on all the wrong things, blah, blah, blah. And so when I came down here and I felt that sense of competition and like just feeling that just imposed on me. Um, I was like, this is so uncomfortable. And so, and I was like, I feel like I'm in high school. Like I've not felt this close to being in high school since I was in high school. Like who are the popular right. kids? Who are the pretty girls? Who are like the funny girl? Like, <laughs> right. and so I was like, I'm so uncomfortable with this. And so I just, um, and then at the time in podcasting, it really was like very male dominated. And mm. so I was like, I don't know, I guess maybe I'll, it would be fun to talk to women about their teenage years and sort of like show that women can be friends with each other and lift each other up and be, you know, and so that's kind of how it started. And then eventually I started doing, having um, male guests like in the summers only. Mm -hmm. So they get a little summer fling and then (laughs) they get kicked out. So yeah, I've been doing that for a really long time. And then, you know, sort of uh, it's grown out from there. But um, Wait, but how like you, everyone how you... in podcasting, I stalked Rabia, just like everyone else oh. in podcasting. I stalked I I, Rabia. I was a massive Undisclosed fan. Oh, I love you, Janet. I think I was on the JV Club before you started uh, working with Bob. But I don't know yes. the story behind that. How did that happen? How did that come about? So my podcasts that I listened to, um, like religiously, were Undisclosed and Truth and Justice. And because I just got real excited about wrongful conviction and, you know, exonerations yeah. and, and seeing people do that work yeah. and seeing people be passionate yeah. about it. And um, and and uh, and so at some point I like 
I was listening to Truth and Justice. I was shooting this show in, in Georgia and I was shooting and I was listening to Truth and Justice on the freeway. And I heard and, and at the end of an episode of Truth and Justice, someone was Bob was like, so people keep asking me, like, Bob, what do you like? What do you listen to? What are you into? And I always feel bad because I never have good recommendations for people in true crime because I don't really listen to that. I listen to comedy stuff like my favorite podcast is this uh, podcast called Never Not Funny with Jimmy Pardo. And I literally had to pull off the freeway because I was like, holy shit. If he listens to Jimmy Pardo, that means he knows who I am because I am on that podcast all the time. Like, maybe I should write him an email and see if he'll do my podcast. Mm -hmm. So that's how that happens. I I wrote him and said, hey, I'm a fan of what you're doing. Um, I would love to have you on my podcast and hear about your awkward teenage years and ultimately hear about how you got married to the same woman twice. Uh, Not a good idea either (laughs) one, uh, either time, I guess. But anyway, so that happened. And then that caused me to. I don't even know that story. Yeah, that caused me to have the courage to reach out then to. Colin, because somehow I found out that Colin Miller liked a yeah. show that I had done. And so that's when I really started to weasel my way into. That's amazing. I love a weasel. That is am- I love yeah. a good backdoor. That came out wrong. You know, um. you know I also love a good backdoor. <laughs> gonna, I love I'm a good backdoor. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. I want to be around Lana for the Barney workshopping of that. backdoored her way into podcasting <laughs> news at 11. I actually. You pegged it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so then Bob asked me, like, when... He's turning in my law when, license now. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's, you can hear your law license going away. Um, but then, yeah, so Bob asked me to help out and do follow-up episodes with him because his editor, who was also his co-host, was leaving, and that was, like, mm. a, like a year and a half ago. And I, and I think I was like, sure, I mean, hopefully I'll, I'll have time to still do it, and then... Like I, you know, somehow it's been uh, now a year and a half or something, and I just show up and try to represent the listener, especially women listeners. Um, Yeah, Yeah. it's amazing to have you in the true crime space. It is very exciting for us nerds out here. So cool, and it it is so funny that we just saw you this weekend, albeit for a second, but we have been trying to get you on for forever. So since you are a comedian and you are so adorable and so funny. My three quick things, because it's my show and I can do whatever I want, because <laughs> my name is on the title, I'm doing five rapid fire questions for you today. Ellen, you to this was not cleared with me, yep. whose name <laughs> is also in the title, but okay, nobody ready. asked me. All right. Janet, um, is soup something you eat or drink? Eat. Is pizza round or square? Round. Okay. Um, Would you rather have feet for hands or hands for feet? Hands for feet. Okay. I'm going to ask you to explain that later. Which do you prefer, talking or texting? Uh, Oh, that's a great question. I guess texting. It's rapid fire. I have to answer from the gut. Yeah. But that's not really true. I'm a podcaster. You know what I mean? Like, we all love talking. You clearly prefer talking. She said texting. She said texting. Oh, I couldn't hear. It bleeped out. Okay. I said texting, but then I regretted it. Have you ever made a prank phone call? Yes. Naughty. Okay. Go, Rabia. We are almost the same person, Janet, except for that last thing. I really need to make a prank phone call once in my life. I just feel so left out. You've never? My prank phone call is very – I've made one, and it was was really – Let's hear about it. I want to hear about it. It's so on brand. It's it's super embarrassing. It's it's not even a prank call. And? It – 
so when I was in high school, um, my friend and I were big fans of um, like, you know, Gary Shandling had like that, you know, his Larry Sanders show and stuff. And I found out he was from Tucson, which is where I'm from. And like then I found out that and this does date me, but his mom was in the phone book. And so we three way (laughs) called Gary Shandling's mom. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, like, I think we were just hoping that he really was there. Because all we said, we were like, she answered the phone. We were like, hi, is is Gary there? And she was like, oh, mm-hmm. he's not in town at the moment. And she was so she was like, can I take a message for him, though? And we were like, so ah! and then we hung up. <laughs> so that was oh, the prank call. Yeah. It wasn't really. I was like, that like, doesn't count. I was very like, no, no, it I'm wasn't like, is your refrigerator running or anything like that? My friend, when I was in fourth grade, my friends and I prank called like it was like we were getting paid per call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> prank called so many times. I am shocked by this information, Ellen. Yeah, I never would have imagined. I actually have one question, Janet, which is how we normally play this game, but Ellen is not bound by rules. I've taken um, it off the rails today. I'm yeah. sorry. That pizza it's, question. It's, I mean, know. listen, those were hard hitting questions. Yeah. But I'm really happy to hear about the, the hands for feet. That makes total sense. Anyway, listen. So here's my question. Yeah. In the evenings, in the evenings, when work is done, the bra comes off, the animals are the fed. Bra the bra is off kids. most of the day, Rob. Yeah, the bra okay, is off fine. most of the All day, right. just to clarify. Whatever else is left comes off. Yeah. <laughs> what is your comfort watch at night by yourself? What does Janet Barney watch all by herself just because she loves it? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll... It could be a genre. I'll, it could be a specific yeah. show you love. It could be, yeah. I'm trying to think of what, what I return to. Um, mm. I mean, I, I am not an anime aficionado, which is always hard because then I get asked to do these anime conventions and there are all these people yeah. wearing these extraordinary costumes from these very little known anime. Cause you could just, mm-hmm. that's an endless universe. And they're always like, yeah. do you know what I'm yeah. dressed as? And I'm like, Oh, are you, a, <laughs> if you're not a, a British, an, an elderly British detective, then no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what your character is. I feel like I, I I definitely gravitate to like, yeah, like British one hours or like, I mean, I oh. genuinely love like these, you know, this is just a story about four old people who find love again after all oh. of their spouses die. Like it's not, it's their, <laughs> it's really romantic. but they're all British. I don't watch like American comedy because that's not, there's you, nothing like, about to, like, that Acorn. that takes me out of it. Acorn is yeah. Acorn would be yeah. Britbox, Acorn, yeah, just stuff like that. I'll I'll get into because it's just that's not the things that people relax doing. I don't. I'm always like, oh, I know that person. Oh, I auditioned for that. I love British shows. I don't know what it is. I just I'm like, why do I love the are my colonizers so much? I don't know, but I do. (laughs) It's not great. (laughs) When you put it that way, it's not great. No, it's not. I mean, but you know, it is what it is. It's very fresh in my memory. Anyway, third question. (laughs) Let's go to the third question. Go ahead and give it to her. Yeah, what's your what's your connection or relationship to true crime? Uh, something you always loved. The, yeah. Something. Yeah. Where did it come from? I definitely was not. I'm not a. I don't watch like ID kind of stuff. Um, mm. I didn't even know. I just didn't know really that that was a thing. So I I knew. I mean, I would watch like HBO stuff because um, that's the channel that I had and knew existed. Yeah. But but that is for the most part. And then for sure, like everyone else. I mean, I was already a huge podcast listener and a, and, a, and I listened to This American Life. And so I was one of the people oh. who was like the tease, the teaser for Serial 
when I heard it on This American Life, I was like, this is my jam. Can't wait. Want to listen to it just like everyone else. But it was not, it certainly was not my first podcast. So Serial was your, that was your gateway drug into true crime, really? It was my gateway drug into paying as much attention to true crime Mm -hmm. as I do now, which is still Mm -hmm. fairly limited to like serious true crime podcast again not because i don't like comedy but because that i just live in the comedy world so i i don't usually combine them and that was one of the things that was so interesting about um like understanding obsessed fest differently or understanding like my favorite murder was like oh my god you can't right i could i could have combined two things that i'm really interested in but it never occurred to me <laughs> like it never occurred to me i was like no it's no it's a confusing genre true crime it's is over here this is it's like a- yeah but yeah. at the same time, like that is but then but then every conversation you're having offline is like having a dark sense of humor and laughing yeah. and saying inappropriate things about stuff because everyone in your world already knows that you cry at the drop of a hat and that you feel this deep empathy. But like it, I, I was like, oh, no, I could never la-. like I'm, I'm humorless. I'm humorless about that. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, like seeing all of you like amazingly funny talented people yeah be able to kind of traverse like like trade back and forth in that i was like oh everyone understands that like it's not a thing that happens behind closed doors like true crime fans understand that you have a dark sense of humor because you can't live in that space without being able to laugh too you know so it took me a really long time to sort of realize that 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 crossover oh same comfortably and healthily exists I was indignant when I heard that true crime pom- comedy podcasts were a thing. I'm like, that doesn't even belong in the same sentence. And right. here I am yeah. with Ellen okay. Marsh. That makes me feel better. Um, <laughs> that makes me All feel right. better. She has been regretting it ever since. Okay. <laughs> Doubt it. Shall we jump into our crash course about this case yeah. that the Disney princess lookalike Janet Varney has chosen? Why don't you tell our audience the the case that you chose and we will give them a little rundown of it. Sure. Yeah. So this is um, these are the Shenandoah Park motor, uh, murders. I believe they took place in the late 90s. I, it's true that I didn't pull anything up. Um, no, no, no. It, we have a, we but, have a whole thing okay, for so you. So you're going to get the give, breakdown. OK, yeah, we're going to give because um, I've listened to your well, show and I was like, luckily, I don't have to give the synopsis. And then you just, just got to show, like, oh, show up. You just got to show up. Yeah. All these facts. <laughs> um, uh, Lolly and Julie were girlfriends. They were. um they were together in this national park in uh, Virginia, and uh, and they were uh, horribly murdered. And um, you know, it's just one of those fascinating cases where, like a lot of cases that we that we find ourselves coming back to, or that we are fascinated by and kind of can't let go of, there's this real intersection between you know, sort of social justice and issues in minority communities that tend to inform like bad investigations or why choices are made that they that that are um and then you know just the nagging like upsetting like who the fuck did this um it's it's a it's a really fascinating case and the book that you held up rabia uh trailed um i have listened to that audiobook i think at least two times i may have listened to it three times because i have to like hear stuff over and over to remember any of it yeah. um and and it's it's um it's really compelling and it really 
I think for a lot of people who know about this case, the two women involved feel like girls I went to college with. Like I went to yeah. a small college for my before I went to SF State, I went to Northern Arizona University. It's full of like crunchy hippies who still love the Grateful Dead. And, you know, it's uh, that community has crossover with like very LGBT friendly kind mm. of stuff. And um, the way that Catherine like very empathetically describes the girls and spends so much time of the book really yeah. talking about their lives and their choices and their backgrounds. Um, I really feel like I know these girls. Like I really, yeah. I say, I should say women because um, they were in their mid to late twenties. One was older than the other, but when they were killed, but I, but I, when they're described, I see them in my head as girls that I, you know, like yeah. went and smoked yeah. pot with at the Grand Canyon. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it is a fantastic I a book. I got to say it is highly readable. Um, and Catherine Miles is an incredible investigative journalist trailed. And it just so happens we have the same publisher. So I actually got a copy from her editor, which is wonderful. Nice. It's an incredible book. And um, I did use it as a resource for today's episode. So let's get into it. And let, let's let folks know what this case is all about. Great. All right. Here's our crash course. My absolutely favorite genre of film, even more so than mysteries, is the being hunted in the wilderness by a wild animal. I just can't get enough of them. The gray, the bear, the ghost in the darkness, Anaconda, and of course the entire Jaws franchise, these are just some of my favorites. All of these stories share similar elements. Unsuspecting travelers, a focused and tenacious predator, and of course, an unrelenting and often vast wilderness or expanse where the prey can find no quarter and there's no one around to save them. The thought of a bear or coyote or even really a pack of geese hunting me down is enough to keep me away from the great outdoors, but none of these predators are nearly as terrifying as being hunted by the most dangerous animal on earth, man. It's no coincidence then that national and state parks with their thousands of acres of thick forests and creeks and trails are the perfect place for predators of the humankind to find their victims. The case we're discussing is just such a story. It's horrific and tragic, and you can't help but wonder if these murders could have been prevented. 23-year-old Julie Williams and 25-year-old Laura Lawley Winans met and fell in love in the spring of 1995 through the well-renowned outdoor program for women called Woods Women Incorporated. Woods Women was the first organization of its kind, a non-for-profit that existed for two decades, which trained women in leadership and outdoor skills through dozens of programs. They were nothing short of pioneers and gave opportunities to female criminal offenders and queer youth, along with women of all stripes, to explore and understand the great outdoors. The program gave Julie and Laura, who were both survivors of sexual assault, a sense of control, autonomy, and power over something that many women often fear, being in the great outdoors alone. Julie was from St. Cloud, Minnesota, and a geologist by training. She was dedicated to social work. She had volunteered in underserved communities in South America and gave her time to be a translator for non-native English-speaking victims of domestic violence. She had a big heart and a quiet nature, opposite to that of her partner. Lolly, as Laura would commonly be known, was from Unity, Maine, and had a big, confident personality and was close to graduating with a degree in outdoor leadership. A little over a year after they met, they came together again in May of 1996 in Shenandoah National Park in Virginia for a nine-day camping trip. By this time, both women were experienced backcountry leaders and had each led outdoor expeditions across the nation in some of the most harrowing and untamed wilderness in the nation. 
This time, however, it was going to be a relatively easy trip. Just five days backpacking on the Appalachian Trail in Shenandoah National Park, a much easier excursion than many they had taken in the past. They set out on May 19, 1996, accompanied by Lolly's golden retriever, Taj, with a plan to wrap up on May 28th. When the weather is nice, the park is packed with visitors along the famous Skyline Drive. Believe me, I've experienced it. But once you get off that one main road, the, the 196,000 acres of the park is remote. The two women were taking it fairly easy, hiking about five miles a day. We know this because both of them were prolific at journaling and Lolly was an amateur photographer, so much of their journey was well documented. On or about May 25th, they discovered the Meadows Bridal Trail, a little known trail that wasn't even marked on most maps. Back in the day, it had been used to take folks on horseback riding excursions, but by 1996, it was long overgrown and mostly forgotten. The two women went down the steep trail roughly a quarter mile and then bushwhacked a couple of hundred yards off the trail to set up a camp right next to a creek. They set up their tent and stacked their stuffed backpacks one on top of each other in an orderly fashion. They were so far back into the woods that no one standing on the trail would have been able to see them. But clearly, someone not only saw them, but was likely stalking them. May 28th, the day they were supposed to return, came and went without any sign of Julie and Lolly. Julie's roommate, who had expected her to move out of their shared apartment by the end of the month, wasn't happy that he hadn't heard from her at all and that the end of the month had arrived. Irritated, he called her father to report that Julie was nowhere to be found, and in turn, her father alerted the park authorities. By the morning of May 31, 1996, the search for the women was on. Their car was found immediately, exactly where they had indicated it would be parked when they filled out their permits, and the next day, a retired couple found a golden retriever with no collar wandering around the path in the park. It seemed to them that the dog was dazed, but searching as if maybe it was looking for a person. When the park rangers arrived, one of them called to the dog with the name of the dog that had belonged to the missing women, and immediately the dog responded. They knew for sure they had found Lolly's dog, and also realized it was unlikely the women were alive if the dog was out wandering alone. Not long after sunset, around 8.40 p.m., the two rangers went down to the bridal trail, and this time, they spotted a tent. As they approached, they could see the campsite was in disarray. The tent had been cut open in the rear, three pairs of boots were strewn about, and an array of litter covered the ground, including a roll of toilet paper soaked in blood. The women's two backpacks, however, were still stacked one on top of the other. As the rangers began poking around, one of them noticed a smell in the air. It smelled like death to him. A dead animal, maybe. When they peeked inside the tent, they saw a blue sleeping bag zipped up to the top, and it appeared that someone was in it. A look inside confirmed their worst fears. It was a woman, face down, bloody, and clearly lifeless. It was Lolly Winans. About 60 feet away, close to the creek, they found Julie. Likewise, inside a sleeping bag that had been zipped all the way to the top with just the crown of her hair showing, and likewise lifeless. The two women had been bound, gagged, and murdered, the killer having slit their throats. Shockingly, amazingly, the park authorities did not immediately realize that a killer had even been involved. In fact, one of the rangers who had found the bodies initially reported that he assumed the women had been killed in a bear attack. You heard right. The ranger, finding two bodies stuffed in neatly zipped up sleeping bags, thought a bear was the culprit. The bear theory quickly evolved into a murder-suicide theory, 
even though state investigators and the FBI were on the scene within hours. How could they even reconcile that theory with the fact that both women were gagged with their own long johns and had their hands bound behind their bodies with duct tape? And yet that was the narrative initially floated. Which is made weirder by the fact that just weeks earlier, the same investigators that had helped with the search for Julian Lolly had been called to the scene of another crime. The partially buried body of 25-year-old Alicia Showalter Reynolds had been found by a logger. She had vanished two months earlier, and it had been clear to investigators that whoever had killed her had done so with meticulous planning. The same seemed true of the murders of Julie and Lolly. The perpetrator didn't happen upon the women randomly. He had likely been following them, watching them, and had descended upon them with a murder kit in hand. He had brought duct tape, a knife, gloves, and perhaps a gun. He had taken his time and left without a trace. This was undoubtedly not his first kill. And Alicia, by the way, was one of six women who had been murdered in the region in the previous six months, three of them having also been left in sleeping bags. There was a killer on the loose, but the authorities were loath to admit it. The authorities finally admitted they had a double murder on their hands and maybe even a serial killer after an LGBTQ paper called The Washington Blade kept digging into the story. It wasn't until six years later, however, in 2002, that charges were brought against a suspect, a Maryland man by the name of Daryl David Rice, who was already serving time in federal prison for an attempted abduction of a woman in 1997. He was indicted with the murders of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans. The state's theory of the case was that Rice, who had said he hated gays, was a homophobe and killed the women because of their sexual orientation. The case against him was the very first ever federal capital hate crime brought in the nation, and among Rice's team of lawyers was Deirdre Enright, the very same Innocence Project attorney we heard from in Serial. Enright took Rice's case because she believed a very mentally ill man had been roped into charges that had nothing to do with him, and DNA evidence eventually backed her up. Two years later, in 2004, charges were dropped against Rice when he was excluded as the source of the DNA found at the crime scene. The dismissal of the case was, however, without prejudice, meaning the charges could again be brought against him in the future. Rice was eventually released from prison after serving time for the attempted abduction, and so far those charges have never been brought again, even though the original investigators in the case still believe he's their man. The story is tragic in many ways, one of them being that to this day the murders of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans remain a cold case, unsolved. Another tragedy is this, that perhaps they would still be alive today if the authorities had alerted the public and everyone entering the park that a serial killer was operating in the area and obviously hunting women. Let's talk about it. Janet, I'll be honest, I was not familiar with this case. Um, although I am familiar with like the Route 29 killer and other similar serial, or, well, killings that have been connected because they authorities believe or people believe that they were like connected to one killer. Um, but I'm wondering... Well, you said you've listened to the, the case three or the book three times, but why this case? How did it come to your attention? And what about it like really made you want to talk about it today? Yeah. So um, full disclosure, I did do this for Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Um, oh, you oh, Toby. Yeah. Oh, OK, and there you go. I know you're on that. You're on you're on the list too, Rabia, of like every. I've been, yeah, I've been on a couple of shows. Every year. 
Yeah, he'll send before every like new year of the book club, he'll just send like the people who do the book club reviews yeah. a whole list of stuff and that he's going to be doing upcoming and so I like skimmed through it and I saw just seeing like the name and the one sentence describing it. I was like, I want that one. Mm. I know I want that one. I don't know anything about it, but I want yeah. that one. And um, and so that's that's how I came to know it. And through the book, you do find out about um, the Colonial Parkway murders, which I had heard of, but wasn't super familiar with. It's a um, in, there's a case of another lesbian couple who was killed um, in this remote area, not terribly far from uh, where Lolly and, and Julie were killed, um, just in terms of regionally and like sort of the same. I mean, it's not like a hiking trail. It was off a highway, but um, and and so it definitely. But, you know, you're you, just the way you guys were describing it. I mean, it really does. Like we talked about this before, but it really does ping all of those things like being like it, cre- it creates that like rage that I think a lot of us feel around true crime of where that's the victimization of women and the idea of um, a, a, a some sort of municipal or like government agency being like, yet we do want visitors to the park. So right. I guess, I mean, that's Jaws, right, Ravia? Like right. that's it. It's literally <laughs> the Jaws story is like, yeah. yes, there's a shark killing people, but it's tourist season and we need to make money. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's just tell people that's not real. I mean, that really is what it sounds made up. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, and then it, it sort of has everything. It has the, the a person who certainly committed an offense, certainly was an offender and certainly served time for it. But you hear about, you know, the original investigators being like, no, we got our guy. And then yeah. when it's proven through DNA that it wasn't the guy, like how much work is done to try to find the real person? You know what I mean? Right. The tunnel vision here is astounding. And we're going to get into what an absolutely awful investigation this was. Mm. A little bit later, but I thought we would t- start by talking about um, uh, Julie and and Lolly as um, in terms of victimology. And the reason I bring that up, victimology, I mean, it's not a real popular subject with a lot of people, but I think people don't understand what it is. But I do know it's something Bob focuses a lot on. So yeah. I don't know how well versed you are in it, but I'm assuming if you are around Bob Ruff for long enough, you know, <laughs> you know all about victimology. Yeah, yeah. So how would you how would you kind of uh, analyze the victimology here? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not trained in it at all. But the idea is not so much that you that I mean, it, the idea of it is a, it's a tool, like everything else. Yeah. It's a tool. It's not the tool. I totally understand when people are like, you know, behavioral analysis, like that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I get it. But it's a to me, it's a tool. It's like, what do you have in the toolbox? Yeah. You can do that. Don't not just like don't only do that. Right. But the idea of like what can we find out about the offender based on where this crime took place, who the people were, um, what the opportunities were based on the lifestyle of the people, um, and and sort of seeing if you can kind of work backwards from there, and then certainly like crime scene analysis and and what you can identify about the behavior of an offender based on how detailed or planned or unplanned or chaotic, um, opportunistic those types of qualities seem to be. So here you have these two very experienced um, wilderness trekkers who, in fact, even teach other women how to engage with the trail. Like you said, Ellen, earlier that it was an easy hike for them. This was not a huge challenge. It was more about them connecting in their relationship and just being together, which makes me sick to my stomach to even say, mm-hmm. thinking about like 
just the whole scenario was like it's all it's all violating uh, all of all of crime is a violation but this just seems it's just it's so repugnant anyway so they're trying to focus on the relationship so there's so and then they have their dog which is also like what you can t- you know in terms of victimology like they had a dog with them yeah. this person you would think we you all would, that's, hear that's it time and time again a... like you avoid you avoid people with dogs because you don't know how the dogs are going to behave so that suggests that perhaps but a golden retriever was, I know, Golden Retriever. That's that's a safety precaution. Even just having a dog, I mean, people, that that makes you feel safer. Just having somebody that will, you know, a thing that will bark, that will sound an alarm, that gives you a sense of security. You know, I I was going to say it's it's interesting to me. What's interesting to me about this, um, the, the fact that they were a lesbian couple was that it didn't seem to me that they were targeted for that reason although that but that's but that was the case the state made against against uh, against Daryl Rice right they're like right. well he specifically targeted them for that reason given the fact that like in in like the 14 months before they had been killed eight other women and girls been killed yes. like in this kind of central virginia side it seemed more likely to me that it was because they were there were just two women without yeah. any yes. man around and i also wonder if they had not been so experienced like if you put me on a trail i'm not bushwhacking myself right. 200 yards in into right. a place that's super remote and nobody can see from the trail right if they had been right. less experienced and actually stayed on a trail that would have at that season been very well traversed right might have actually kept them safer but the fact that yeah. they were so experienced you know how much 200 yards is that's a lot of bush yeah, yeah. to cut down to put up a tent i just imagine like that this guy must have been following them I agree. Like for a while. He, I don't think they, everyone just, everyone was like, you couldn't even have found their campsite had you not right. seen them get, go back into the bush, do the bushwhacking and like set up the camp. Like yeah. it's a hard, hard space to find. This is not opportunistic in the sense of like, he was just on a trail, saw a tent and was like, hey, let me do something horrible to someone. Like he stalked them. It didn't seem like a crime of opportunity. Although maybe he just walked around, wandered the woods with a murder kit looking for the opportunity. I don't know. I agree with you that like prior to them entering the park, I don't have a sense at all that it was like a person known to right. them. You know what right, I mean? Who right, was right. like stalking them in that scenario. I think right. I think if you, I think I agree with what I think you're saying, which is like it's opportunistic in the sense that they were in an environment in which we know people to women to have been killed. He was before. already looking. He was looking. Yeah, for people. he was yeah. definitely looking. Yeah. But the part that they were in that this tragedy happened was very remote. So he had to have known, you know, the the novice people all hang out here, but some mm. people who are more comfortable with their, their wilderness skills and surroundings would be somewhere else. So that because the, the, the murders were very methodical very calculated he they said he like cut the duct tape and taped it on the tent and did all of these creepy methodical very deliberate things and that would only come with a sense of calm that you're not going to see or come upon anyone else so yes i agree i mean when i first read this i was like well how do they know that they he stalked them but it actually is quite clear he had to have known that he he could take his time, as yeah. dark as that sounds, and not get caught, right? The interesting thing about this trail is like, Ellen, you're right. I think this man knew his way around those woods because, again, this trail is not like almost – it's not used. It's not on maps. Uh, but these women are so experienced that either uh, – apparently what happened was 
uh, the only way this trail is even marked and you even can identify that it exists at that time, I don't know about today, but in 1996 was like there's like this little cement like marker there. And I think maybe they saw it and th they thought, OK, this will be a nice, quiet, private place that nobody will come and we'll have our privacy there. But it's a really steep trail. And if you're on the trail and then you you can identify where they have bushwhacked back, even from there, you will not be able to see their camp. However, if you go further down the trail, it plateaus. And mm. if you are at that plateau area and you look a little bit up, then you could have seen their campsite. Mm. So he might have already been down the trail further on that plateau area because yeah. guess what? They found a beer can and some cigarette butts down there, Yeah, investigators, when they finally started looking. We have some I ha we have a couple of the same kind of question in the chat and I wanted to to pose this to you both. Do we think that them being uh, a lesbian couple was a narrative perpetuated by the prosecution or do you think he was watching them and maybe saw them kiss or maybe and and that like do we think that because two two gals about town could go hiking at any time. Do we think that that was a real thing? Because when I was researching the names of the other victims, nothing there, there those those murders. in I think it was 86 in the Colonial Parkway. Yeah. Those ones were uh, a lesbian couple. But do we think there this was, was one a, lesbian a, couple, but the other ones were actually heterosexual couples. Like yeah. there are like there are like I think three other murders where it was a man, a, a man and a woman or a man and a young girl in fact in one right so do we think this was just a narrative like what like the, the whole hate crime angle right. what do we think about that i mean i i agree i mean they definitely i don't think this is what anyone's saying but just to clarify like they definitely were a couple so it was yeah yeah it was known oh, yeah, that sorry, they were a couple and yeah and it was an op and it was an opportunity i mean Again, this is one of those things where you think about the a level and amount of hate crimes that are happening at all times in the country and that the yeah. that this was the first one that was actually, you know, brought to the table and if you read the book there's a lot of politics, surprise surprise, that feels like that's always happening uh, behind the scenes, but there it seems like there was a lot of politics around that and that decision. There was a lot of very careless handling of how that information came to the public, like without the families being a part of that conversation. Um, and so, it, yeah, I think it was an opportunity to I mean, was it an election year? I can't remember, Robbie. Like, I, it's been a minute since I read the book, but there's some sort of five years old like, at the time. Yeah. Janet, I don't know how old you think I am. No, um, I'm saying it's the book. In the book. Remember. The book. Yeah. yeah. Whether we or not in the book you, that you hear. Um, wasn't yeah. that... Wasn't that Clinton's? Wasn't that Clinton administration? No, Ashcroft was the attorney general at the time. I don't think he yeah. was Clinton's AG. Oh, yeah. But I'll, I'll by the say way, this. Ashcroft not known to be like a super queer friendly. But that's Thank why you. I say there's I politics there. There's something yeah, happening right. there where it's like, yeah. this serves us. That's the yeah. cynical take, but I think that's kind of what the author is saying. Is like this benefits us to use this as a hate crime regardless of whether that's an accurate narrative, um, right. it's convenient for us to be able to show like, hey, sure, we're not prosecuting like people who are, you know, still lynching people, but we're going to go ahead and like handpick, cherry pick this specific thing that's in Virginia. It's near D.C. It's very it's like a woke thing to do by an administration that, you know, was really struggling with its cred in terms of like, yeah. are you gay friendly? Like, are you though? You know, there's yeah. a lot of like, don't ask, don't tell stuff going on. Right, so that's exactly I think, the area. Yeah. yeah, so there's a yeah. lot of politics there. But yeah, but there was and there was definitely a sexual component to the crime, but I don't think it has to have anything to do with it. A hundred percent. And let's talk about that. But I, I do also want to say that 
the way I think a lot of these cases work, and Janet, you are, I know you're intimately familiar with this, especially when it comes to wrongful convictions, is investigators are like, that's our guy, now we're going to work backwards as to why he did this. So we have right. to come up with a narrative, whether it's an honor killing or it's, you know, a, right. a, 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 a homophobic hate crime. Like they... It was it was a very convenient fit for them, given the fact that David Rice is like, I hate gay people. I mean, like that does not help your case here. And they have. Right. But I will say this, regardless of how prosecutors decided to charge him, um, investigators from the jump were already like their lens in terms of investigating did damage to the investigation. Because one of the theories very quickly was like, oh, it was like Lolly's. I think Lolly's ex-girlfriend, who was disgruntled, so did it. And also, both of the women were found with a lubrication inside their body. And it was a lubrication, a lubricant that, d- it was nowhere on the campsite. So it, was, right. it didn't come from anything that was there. So this was something the perp brought in, took with him. But their theory initially was that it was like a chapstick these ladies Ugh. used for their own yeah, like, like sexual... Yeah, Yeah, own oh. sexual pleasure or something like that. Um, and then there was a, a vibe... A, a, at least Julie, uh, I think they had determined that Julie had been, or excuse me, Lolly had been sexually assaulted with an object or objects. Um, and I don't know if a determination was made for Julie or not, but both of them did have the lubricants inside them. And no, no semen. So it wasn't. It no wasn't, semen. Object no, rape, yeah. probably. And a vibrator was, was found. And I just this like is a left, uh, like left, like left, placed. Staged. like placed, yeah, staged, staged, yeah. yeah. But the there was that weird statement that they said, according, like uh, you know, according to their family or anything, it wasn't their vibrator. That was weird. I also was like, why are you saying that? Like, who, who what family right. knows that? Well, yeah, I think it was. I think I feel like again, Come I could on. be misremembering, but I feel like it was. It was also like. It wasn't just a family. It was like just people who know sex toys were like, this is like an out of date. Like it was like a Mm. it just there was something about it that was like, this is just not there was something suspicious about it that didn't make sense for them with their victimology or their lifestyle or whatever. It was like. I mean, I genuinely think someone was like, guys, there's way better vibrators out there and those girls would have known it. Like, right, it was just one right. of those, which is total yeah. speculation for sure. Yeah. But yeah. something also, around those clues was the like, staging yeah, of it something's, is, yeah, this is well, not right. If the perpetrator brought lubricant with him, then I'm he, he didn't just show up thinking, I might find an object to use this with. I think yeah, he probably he's brought got that. A, his part of his kit is yeah. probably that. But wait, correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't actually lubricant it was like something else like vaseline or 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 some something that wasn't actually like lube am i wrong i don't remember i don't know the source of what it was but it was a foreign lubricant like item that was the source of which was not anywhere in the camp so i don't exactly know what it was the reason i say that is because one seems premeditated and one seems opportunistic to me right right i think i think that they I think that what Robbie was saying was like the 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 primary narrative was like we couldn't find lubricant, but we did find Blistex. Maybe right. they used Blistex. And that's what like they were trying to fit those two things together in a way that, again, also a bear attack <laughs> and a murder suicide. Uh, it's crazy. That enrages me to it makes my face hot yes i mean i had to really think that through because i'm like okay maybe i'm just gonna give this guy the benefit of the doubt which he does completely undeserved no keep all your (laughs) doubts let me let me just finish my sentence let me finish my sentence maybe his theory was like these both of these women were actually asleep 
and attacked while they were asleep. And so it was a bear. And, you know, the back of the tent was kind of ripped open. It was hard to tell what it was, what it was torn or actually cut with a knife. So maybe the bear came in and blah, 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 blah. And, but both, but, you know, one was 60 yards away from the tent. I, I don't, I'm like, that's the only thing that I can think of that would make. But what also, what person sleeps with a sleeping bag up to here? And if they were not asleep like that, you're suggesting the bear zipped them up to here, up to here. Yeah, I, I think not it, the brightest people. <laughs> no, no, and also like there's a whole other, there's a whole other um, exploration in the book about park rangers and oh, yeah. that this like incredibly offensive practice that is you know we uh, we mostly understand it through the lens of the Catholic Church because that's something that's been mm-hmm. you know exposed very much so, but there's the same kind of practice where it's like this park ranger in this one park does something that is a fireable offense and is like a violation of someone's privacy or safety. And instead of being fired, they're just moved to a different park. Yep. Like what? You're out We're the doing Grand Canyon that now. in the park service? What are you talking about? Why? Why? Who? What are you? Why are you protecting them? Well, it, it might be because they had such a shortage of, a shortage of rangers. Apparently, one of the practices of this local group was that they would recruit from a local prison. So anytime like they were be uh, you know, people who were being released, they'd be like, oh, oh, you need a job. And so they they would hire people who might have been already violent offenders to come and work in a job where, you know what I mean? Like they, they could be very people dangerous. I mean, like in, in the how many like, serial killers your, have turned out to be cops? Yeah. yeah. Do the research. Like we, 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 want, we, we want people who have served their time, who are coming out, who are in a position where like, you know, if you had a three strikes because you were in possession of marijuana, like right. it might be great for you to be it in the all outdoors depends. and like be empowered to, yeah, and to, and to have that kind of uh, change of your life. But do your fucking homework. Like mm-hmm. yeah. there are appropriate jobs and inappropriate jobs for people coming out of serving time. And yeah, I mean, there were people who were who had like full on sex offender records who yeah. were being put in a uniform which, like, how many times in true crime have we all talked about? The With irony, I was, I was thinking about this, and I wanted to hear what you ladies thought about it, because I have always, for, even though you think I look like a Disney princess, like, I was, I have always mistrusted cops, like, in terms mm. of, like, someone's going to try to get me in trouble for something, or these are, like, kind of mean people who, because I was friends with a lot of, like, punks, and you know what I mean? Like, I was a goth, like, blah, 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 whatever. I am more apt to be trust like a security guard or like a park rate like I'm more apt to trust mm. someone in a authority uniform that isn't an actual police officer mm. than I am a cop like I my guard is down less when someone's like a park ranger than it would be if it was police so I just in feel like some park way, rangers to me like seem like the friend they you're working yeah. in the park you must yes. be the friendliest person also Smokey the you bear I mean like nature. he really yeah yeah that that cartoon really fires. exactly yeah I see it. I yeah. see them at, 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 like opposite ends of the spectrum. I see it like hippy dippy Joel, who's like, "Let me get you the plants that make you feel funny." Uh-huh. Like you know, <laughs> he's like, "I haven't bathed in a week, but also here's some peyote." Yeah. Or creepy serial killer guy. Like there's yeah. no in yeah. between. Like it's yeah. just in in my mind. Like it does take a special kind of person. We there is a shortage of park rangers. That's not a sexy job anymore. Sitting right. no, in like be a park ranger. with nature. Maybe that's my next and move. They, and they like live out there. They live in the wilderness for mm-hmm. like months and months. And you you know you you really are just like chilling with the pansies, like and not even in the fun way, you know. But like 
<laughs> well, so I did. Was any of that like ever explored? Like, and and I'm not saying because they might have been formerly incarcerated individuals. It could have been someone that wasn't incarcerated that like was sitting out yeah. eating the I funny mean, plants. You know, the short there's answer a good is suspect for this. By the way, oh yeah, there's a great suspect for this. Yeah, but but the short answer is. No, nothing and nobody was explored except for the man who was actually exonerated of the crime, right, right. Rice. But I do want to talk a little more about, like, you know, how effed up this investigation was, okay? Like, yeah. you have the fact that they're like, it's a bear. No, it's a murder-suicide. I don't know. One woman just tied herself up with long johns and gagged herself and bound her. And yeah, and then yeah. it was the ex-girlfriend. I mean, you don't even know if there is an ex-girlfriend. Like, they're just pulling shit out of their rear ends. But one of the things that was the most alarming to me about this was that they resisted letting people know that, listen, somebody, there's a killer on the loose and it's probably somebody, they knew whoever committed this crime did not do this for the first time. There is no way this is a first time offender. This is somebody who is so confident, like so meticulous, plans it, has done this before. And they knew that when they found two weeks earlier, Alicia Reynolds' body. They already knew. Yeah. And it was two of the same investigators were involved like in searching for Julian Lawley. And so they, here's a crazy story in this book. They find the body like 8.40 p.m. They find the body around 8.40 p.m. at night. A few hours later, uh, the FBI shows up, state investigators show up. So there's like joint jurisdiction, which also is a shit show because, you know, they're all kind of waving their wee-wees at each other who's got the bigger one and they don't want to work together they don't want to play together the next morning there's a group of hikers that is setting out for a hike includes men and women i think there's like five of them and they they come across this man and they're like well he was alone and he said that he was a through hiker meaning he was like just he, he wasn't like going in for a few days he was like hiking the whole appalachian trail they described him as skinny rugged looking they were very excited they're like wow you're like the real deal that you're like kind of living in the, you're like a mountain man we want to get a picture they got a picture of him, and the guy says to them, are you headed towards um, Shenandoah Valley? And they're like, yeah, we're headed that way. He's like, oh, didn't you hear about like the, the two women that were murdered? At this time, that information had not been made public, okay? So then these people, this group moves on, and they come across a park ranger, and they're like, so we heard these women got murdered. This guy warned us. Are we okay to go down there? And the guy was like, yeah, 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 you're fine. Uh, we're not saying anything, and there's crime everywhere. Just be careful. You don't need to change your itinerary. Just head into the wilderness where these women were killed. So they're not warning people that the, there is a killer in these woods, on top of which they never investigated to look for this guy. They had a picture it's of him. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, one of the things Catherine Miles was able to do when she investigated this case, um, and you know, she worked closely with, she got a lot of her source material from Deirdre and Wright because Deirdre was the one representing uh, Daryl Rice, Innocence Project. They had, over the years, gotten tons of documents. I mean, it's been like 25 years since he's murdered, so she's tons of material. And uh, one of the things they were unable to earth were these confidential documents that were created by the Park Service in which they, as part of what they were going to put out to the public, were representing misrepresenting the crime as a bear attack and the murder-suicide. So they were like, this is our PR plan. <laughs> We cannot stop visitors from coming in because it is it is tourist season. We need the money. That is so irresponsible. And what about the family? Like, how do you mischaracterize something, then put thousands of people at risk? Yeah. It, it is the, the cover up of that 
it's like it, it all compounds the shitty investigation and then like the nothing to see here. We all love like a nothing to see here movement. And it's just it's I, I don't understand how they were able to like get away with. I, I honestly don't understand how nobody gave pushback. I mean, maybe it was because we hadn't had the world of social media yet and they weren't able to draw bigger attention to it. You know, people sounding alarms. But like. When you're when you're young, you just think like the right thing will always be done. In the movies, there are helicopters. You know, all they're the, stopping all the every car. And, yeah, like, like yeah, blockaded. There's, you know, <sighs> police tape all around the park. Like they are on a manhunt. Yeah, that's in the movies. In real life, the day after the bodies were found, the morning after, uh, park rangers and staff sat around till two p.m. Not even being given directions. It's crazy, and it, as to what to go oh, out yeah. and do and look yeah, for, yeah. they just sat around waiting for something to happen. By the way, let me ask you guys. Let me let me ask you guys, guys. Do you guys do you camp? Are you hikers and are you outdoors women? I have camped, I think, yeah. once, and I always feel like I would do it, but I got to tell you, I got a real fucked up neck, and so mm. uh, that part of me that's like, would I be able to get up off the ground? In the next morning. <laughs> but I know that there's like, you know, they got all kinds of great sleeping mats and stuff now. Or you could just like camp out in your car um, glamping. Um, yeah, that's not something that I didn't grow up. I'm always curious about this. Glamping. And I definitely want to know from both of you, although I have a feeling I already know from both of you, of uh, just having a sense of you or knowing you. Um, but that's like, there's so much stuff in my mm. life that I don't do because I didn't grow up doing it. Like I've literally never been on a pair of skis because no one no one took me to ski when I was little. I don't know. People are like, you've never skied? And I'm yeah. like, no. Yeah, Same. we didn't have money. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And so camping is just that not should cost money, man. My parents were not. My, my immigrant parents were not did. spending money on skiing. And yeah. so I've I feel like it's taken me so much of my adult life to be like, you know, this thing that you, the all these things that you say are other people's hobbies. Like they could be. Your hobbies, you just have to make a decision about whether you want to try it or not. Um, and that's one of those things that's just on the list. It's like, oh, no, camping something that, uh, like, cool friends of mine do. Mm -hmm. I don't do it. And, like, the, literally the difference between doing it and not doing it is like, well, why don't you just go do it? Um, but I I, yeah, I don't. Mm. Right. I um, I did a humanitarian vacation before Lola was born. And we we camped through Africa. Like, like we were oh, in, wow. like we went Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and we camped. Like we were camping. Like they were, like, but the scariest thing when you're camping there is animals. I mean, because, mm. yeah, because I was like, I don't speak it, the language, but I definitely know what Simba means, and they all just yelled Simba. <laughs> and I crap. don't think I don't think anyone is doing a version of the Lion King anytime soon. I can't see you in running in your stilettos, Ellen. No, there everything <laughs> packed up, and it was like it was like talk, 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 Simba, talk, 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 and I was like, you guys, I, I, were you up a tree? Seen... Were you up a tree? <laughs> no, we had to get they, they, you know, you had to like get in your tents and everything, but all to say, like we, we did this, we did we did this humanitarian vacation, and like you know we we volunteered at all these orphanages and everything, and. You travel and you camp, and it felt very natural to me. Mm. But that's because I had someone like telling me what to do. Yeah, like this is how we wash our plates when we camp, and this is how we eat our food when we camp, and this is so I could never 
like make that happen on my but own. But did you love it, Ellen? Was it something you're like, I can't wait to go back into the wilderness and uh, do that? Like, I is, actually it something... did love it. You did? I okay. did love it. But do you think that's because it was part of the bigger experience of like what you were the humanitarian Maybe. work? Yeah. Maybe. I am actually shockingly, this actually shocks people, but I am actually, I do like camping. I'm actually very low maintenance. I don't. Think about it, Rabia. All I know is I have never met Think you. I have never I... met you other than you have at least four cost out- outfit changes or costume but changes. But it's for a How? specific event. Right. My well, theory Rabia, is, think... because I'm the same way, if you put me in the woods, I can't wait to not take a shower for three weeks. Like, yeah, give me, exactly. put, oh, me in, no. put me in context. Oh. Ellen's an actress. She's going to adapt to her environment. <laughs> so if you want to put her in a campsite, she's going to fall in love with not having to do any of the stuff that you do yes. when oh. you're going to an event and putting on something fabulous. It's about where you are and adapting to your environment. So do you, I do you actually Rob. Do you actually go hiking and camping like as a thing? Is this something you kind of do? Like I go to the gym. No, do you go, but do you, okay, but you like it. Oh, oh, right. Oh, right. The, do you see that, Janet? The gym. <laughs> Just, the gym. I'm like, is it something it? you it's... regularly pursue? <laughs> no, but if someone were to say, "Do you want to go camping this weekend?" I'd be like, "Fuck yes, Ellen, I want to go camping with you." Ellen, you, I... me, and Janet, we are going camping together, and it is with no be a expert, shit show. no <laughs> one, me? no one to tell us what to do. I'm going to be like, I or, tied our garbage to the trees <laughs> to keep the bears away, guys. Is that also, right? T- two things. Rabia, who had the worst bed at the shore? <sighs> yeah, Ellen. Because um, yeah. I'm low maintenance, number one. But also, Because do you, you don't make your bed. The- oh, no. Oh, no. Not because of that. <laughs> I'm kidding. What does that no, have no, to no, do that's with true. anything? I don't yeah. make my bed. Yeah. No, no. Um, yeah, it's true. Ellen was like, I will sleep on I will sleep anywhere. I'll sleep on the ground. That, that is true. Oh, yeah. see, you're can, that's my you're anywhere. my hero. If my one thing but, has to be like, I can't I have to sleep in a good bed or I'll die, then great. I, you can I have could everything sleep else. standing up like a goddamn vampire if you really, I generally really take two showers a day and I, I, but beyond that, here's the thing. See, I always had, you know, like you have these bucket lists, right? Like, especially in your 30s is when you're like, before I die, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to take yeah. up hiking. I had this moment. It was a very clear moment. I was halfway up a mountain and because I was like, I got to do this hike because everybody does this hike halfway up this mountain. And I was like, F this crap. I don't enjoy a minute of it. I am crossing it off my bucket list. There is nothing for I refused to take one more step up the mountain. I was like, I'm going right back down. Old, old, especially old white people walking right past me. I'm like, go for it. This brown woman <laughs> is going to go sit on the beach because I was like, it's yeah. not necessary. But I'll say something else. I do. I did not grow up camping. Uh, we did not leave Pakistan to then come here, America, and find ourselves in the wilderness. We need to be in safe spaces. But also, the, 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 the outdoor scares me. And um, I want, and this is not a plug, but I'm for real. Um, I, uh, I have a podcast called Nighty Night, which ran for a season. It'll be back. But um, in our first season, we did one episode. And it was written by the amazing, and we've had her as a guest, Sarah Kalin. The name of the episode is called um, The Tiny Hairs. Okay. And it is, it is based on a real story of her going for her law enforcement training when she was like in her early 20s. And then deciding, I'm going to camp alone for a couple of days by myself and literally encountering a serial killer there. And oh if she, if God, that night Sarah. all the hair on her body stood up and she ran and if she had, she might've been killed. It's a great story, but stuff like that. I'm like, no, no, I will not go camping, but with you guys and maybe a camera crew, I might. 
I I I love hiking, so I feel like can't I'm I'm ready to get into the camp. Like hiking is definitely something I enjoy very much. Um, I don't like I'm now in a place in my life where I need to be. I live kind of near Griffith Park. It's a huge park. I would say I go for a walk or hike. It's just a hike to get home to my house, to be honest with you, because I live uphill. But mm. so all of that, yes, is a yes for me. All of it, including like my partner just did like a four day. This is not really him either, but he's obnoxiously good at things like that. Like, oh, I oh, I just did rock climbing for a day and I did really well. Mm. And then the next day his body isn't sore. Anyway, it makes me angry. Yeah. But, um, but he just did like a four-day hike in, you know, the mountains above Portland and had this, you know, amazing experience. And that all, I, I do really like being out of doors and I do feel like, you know, we had a, a mountain lion who lived in Griffith Park for 10 years. Um, P22 is his name. Um, and he died recently and it like, oh, the whole city is in mourning. There's like murals to this mountain line everywhere. But it's interesting because he was, um, you know, it's a mountain lion and it's in the, he's in the middle of this urban space, but it's a huge park and, uh, and there are no like natural predators for him. So he like mm. did pretty well, but I go, I would go hiking and it was very telling that, like, the way in which I felt unsafe had nothing to do with a mountain lion. I was like, mm. I'm like, right. yeah. it, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about a human being. I'm definitely yeah. not worried that this mountain lion gives a shit about me. This mountain lion wants to eat, you know, yeah. a deer. Um, yeah. But feeling like whatever, like, protection I'm carrying is not for that. It's like for a person who, you know, I don't trust and feel will attack me. Because it, it's all so scary. Speaking about scary, should we talk about Richard Evanitz? Yeah. There's your guy. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But a good suspect. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't, yeah, there's no point in spending a whole lot of time on Daryl Rice. I mean, we can talk about, the, the, I will say this, though, in furtherance of the absolute um, circus that was the investigation, the authorities continued, see, he was already in prison when they brought the charges, when, when they indicted him for this. They were like, we got to get this guy dead to right. So they tried every. They came up with this fake scheme oh, where they yeah. had a fake copycat killer oh become God. his friend and try to get him to admit stuff and just tell him how much he hates women and the rage. And Rice was like, you should try yoga. I mean, this guy was like, <laughs> he, you know, he he just didn't ever take the bait. They they, they spent probably millions trying to like somehow entrap I'm him. Sure it didn't right. work. And then you have. Um, you have this other suspect that uh, Catherine Miles really, and Deirdre Enright, by the way, of the Innocence Project, really feel like is the strongest suspect. Um, so the same year that Julie and Molly were murdered, uh, Richard Evanitz, Ev- Evanitz, 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 it might Evonitz? be Evanitz, Evanitz, okay. but also okay. fuck him. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You pronounce it however you want. However the F is got. Richard Evanitz uh, murdered three young girls. Uh, sisters Katie and Kristen Lick, Lisk, who were 12 and 15, and 16 year old Sophia Silva in Spotsylvania County. I think Spotsylvania is Pennsylvania, I believe. But it was like say, in the same kind of like that region. He abducted the, these sisters literally from their porch after school, dumped their bodies in a river. Um, and the other thing is the kind of important thing here is that the DNA from the crime scene and it's not insignificant DNA. We're talking about a bunch of hair, okay? We're also talking mm-hmm. about like male DNA found on the gag. Uh, of one of the women, um, didn't exclude him as a suspect, okay? Um, this guy went, eventually killed himself when he was being pursued by police after a, yet another young woman he had abducted and was going to kill managed to escape. He had her in a Tupper, like a, not a rubber, a big rubber made 
container and she yeah. managed mm-hmm. to escape from that. He is being pursued by police. He kills himself. But before he kills himself, he calls his sister and says, I have killed so many women. I have lost. Like, I don't even know how many. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I don't even know how many, but I'll tell you, it's not the three. Yeah. It's not just yeah. the three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, if it was just three, he would know how many. I mean, like, it's right. He has lost count of how many women he's killed. And DNA that were found, DNA um, that came from hair found in the gloves of the crime scene, because that was one more thing the killer left behind, uh, apparently, and uh, in the duct tape that was used to bind uh, the women, were from the same source, and they matched uh, even, they matched Richard's hair at all but two of, like, the 650 base pairs on a mitochondrial chain. I This is, I I don't even, under I, I have vague recollections of uh, cell biology, but... You know, our DNA looks like... Anyhow. Um, well, it's so, because there were, the roots were missing. Like, yeah. So they were analyzing the hair and without the root. So yeah. it was like... But the okay, analysis so was done... Ad- it, yeah. It was done 20 years ago. Today, you can right. actually do that analysis over. Right. And that's the thing. Yeah. They and won't. So, but no one ever wants to test anything. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite machismo law enforcement like really being wrong with your full chest yeah they were like rice killed him yeah they were like really because like we have like dna for like this guy and they're like nope run that dna again and they're like cool we'll run it again no 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 it's still this guy he goes nah it's that guy rice because he hates gay people and they were like "Mm, no it literally ever the dna the forensic evidence the 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 what he said to his sister and they're like yeah no i'm hearing you it's still rice yeah. <laughs> and also we are nothing abs- <sighs> forensically leads to yeah. rice and yeah. he was like yeah but no it is he hates gay people this Sorry. happens yeah. all the time it happens all the time but also yeah. yes yes they have refused despite Deirdre enright who still even though Rice was released from prison. He is back in society. He has not offended again. And, you know, even and, and it's interesting because uh, Catherine Miles in her book raises questions about even what he was incarcerated for. Like he he had a registered right. sex offender. He was sentenced to 11 years and he didn't actually abduct anybody. He he is definitely mentally ill. He apparently uh, he drove his truck past a woman on a bike and like she ran off the road and he screamed, like, show me your tits, basically. Um, and they said this was an attempted abduction and miles actually argues that it might not have even been that um yeah. but um yeah. deirdre is still working deirdre and i still working to completely fully like you know not just exonerate him but help catch the killer and as of like in 2021 the fbi puts out like flyers saying oh you know we were looking for tips to help solve the crime but what they won't do is respond to deirdre Enright, who is like can we just get the stuff you have in your forensic evidence locker so we can test it? We have, it. A, we have a lab in California willing to do it for free, and you won't give us the evidence. The strength of the male ego, honestly, that they should bottle that shit and yeah. sell it. The fact yeah. we see this time and time again in law enforcement that they refuse to say the three words, I was wrong, yeah. in order to honor the victims, Give the family closure. Even just the doubling and tripling down. Even when science is behind. I can't. If I bump into someone, I apologize. Like, if someone bumps into me, I apologize. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry to me. I feel terrible the whole day. I'm so sorry that person ran into me and didn't say anything as I was apologizing after them. Bye. So sorry. 
Yeah, I was on my way to Dallas in the Uber, and the Uber took a wrong turn. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, Could but then not relate more deeply. Yeah, and you're dealing with people's lives. And you're refusing. I, I, it happens all the time. Why am I? Why am I this worked up? It happens all the time. What's even more mind blowing about the situation is we're not talking about. It's not the same guys from 25 years ago in the field office or at the FBI headquarters in the crime lab. Those guys are long gone. It's the institutional like right. like blockade around this case. They're like this band of brothers is never given in. We don't care if they're dead and gone. Just as an institution, we are not going to admit we're wrong. You know, I mean, like, this is what's crazy to me is, like, how how police agencies, law enforcement agencies will just – it doesn't matter if the people who were involved in it, it's not even personal anymore. A whole change of guard has come in. They couldn't care less. They just couldn't care less. Yeah. I really wish there were some kind of public – I really want to explore this. There should be a public cause of action that allows – like people who, for the general public interest to bring some kind of a lawsuit against these federal agencies and say, give us, turn over the evidence. Like I, I, I want to dig into a little more. Maybe I can, I haven't emailed Deirdre a long time back in the day. Remember she was actually kind of working on Adnan's case. Oh, I yeah. might be like, Hey, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, but I do, yeah, I do want to talk to Catherine Miles for sure. It's so, that part of it is really interesting too. Just that sort of like lesson. And, and we've heard it on, on uh, versions of it on Undisclosed as well, but just the sort of, and, and Bob's experienced it a ton too, just like the same story over and over about like, oh, we just don't have the evidence. We just don't have it. There was a fire. Uh, there, there was a oh, flood. Um, uh, oh, we, we lost it. it. And then, yeah. And then there's that, and then there's that whole great part of the book where Deirdre's like, Oh, oh, I'll go to your fucking warehouse. Like, yeah. let me go ahead and yeah. get my, like, headlight and my fan and my yeah. 60, like, extension cords so that I can make photocopies <laughs> of this. But you have yeah. to be so tenacious to keep getting yeah. that no, 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 no. We don't, like, not even know you can't access it. Like, we don't have it. To stay and then wait and just wait it out and then finally get it is crazy yeah. it's so amazing that this is that. not an unsolvable case this is an eminently solvable case yeah and i if i was you know i, I mean i just imagine the parents in this case who are probably still around i'm sure um how it must feel for them that the the fbi ha would rather keep this a cold case than actually like re like do yeah. a new round of forensic testing on on any of this the cigarette butts the can yeah. of, of beer that was found at the only place the perp could have probably seen the campsite. Never yeah. been tested. We don't even know if they have it. The male DNA on the gag. Whose else could it be? It was their long johns. It was the guy who gagged them, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. But the funny thing is, if it would have involved, you know, someone famous or someone noteworthy or something, they would have been checking everybody's, you know, ticket to get into that park. And, you know, the fact that they were women, I don't know if their sexuality came into play. I mean, this putting putting our minds into over 30 years ago or whatever. It just like it's just it is. I just so think in general when it's women, it's just like whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And especially with something like that where you have, you know, the federal agency is connected to the federal government is connected to we we made a huge stink about making this the first right. hate crime, hate federal crime. hate crime against this person. And now it's all those things are all tied together. So ugh, like it's kind of tied to a lot of high profile stuff if we have to admit that that wasn't even our guy. After It's all a mistake that, of you know? historic proportions, right? It's a mistake that's yes. going to be 
Like, you know, in all the law textbooks about hate crimes legislation, they're going to be like, the very first case prosecuted under this law was yeah. this case. And we yes. were wrong. I mean, like, so. Yes. A mistake. Of, it'll never live. They can never but live who cares? Who cares? Just yeah. figure out. Like, if you have the ability to do it, just do yeah. it. Oh, these uh, it's a yeah, It's a awful shame. And it's it's been 20, I cannot do math, 20. Five, six, seven no. years now? I can't do math. No. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. yeah is that right? <laughs> I said 30. No. No, because I I'm was thinking, no, you're right. It's 30. It's you can say 30. It's like right around 30. It's right around 30, right? Or yeah. is it 26? Yeah, because 27. I feel brilliant I right now. <laughs> um, Wait, you were a former medical, medic- you went, listen, you went to medical school for like a year, okay? Four you years pre-med. Four years pre-med. Okay. Uh, yeah, Damn. Janet. Yeah. I'm almost a doctor. Listen, microphone. <laughs> I'm almost right a college in... graduate. <laughs> I'm almost a fully functioning human, but <laughs> microphone in your face. You have to give me an answer. You have sat with this case. You've listened to the book so many times. What do you keep going back to as what happened? I think. I mean, when I finished reading the book, I really thought that it was. Of annex or whatever. Um, it, it seemed like it made a lot of sense. Uh, then you sort of go back to like how many serial killers are operating in a specific limited space at a, a specific limited time. The joke sort of being like, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, it could be like 11D because we love making serial killers in the Pacific Northwest um, who are like in competition with each other. Yeah, I think it's true for the Appalachian. All these national parks. It's yeah. scary, man. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that the the takeaway for me, I, I, I would, I, I agree. I mean, I just t- test it. If it's not this guy, so be it. But figure it out. I, it it feels it's it strongly feels like it could be it, it could be this other guy who's a, a complete and utter piece of shit. Um, for me, I think yeah, the takeaway of just feeling like, again, the the confluence of all these different things, like women. And minority groups feeling safe outdoors, feeling like the outdoors is not a place where you're going to be preyed upon. It's a place that you can enjoy and celebrate and learn to be able to navigate and not feel um, at risk by other human beings. Feeling like that's violated, feeling like, you know, being two women in a relationship is more dangerous than being a, a hetero or or male couple is um, feeling all of those things lumping together to feel like they're th- that you're not allowed, you're not safe and allowed in this space because it's not for you, and you're this is what's going to happen to you if you try is so f- infuriating to me. So that's a big takeaway for me is like I want people to feel like they're in a safe space. Again, I understand if you're worried, it's not safe if you're going to like hike and fall off a cliff. Of course, it's not safe if you're going to encounter. A, a dangerous animal predator, but it. I just want pe- everybody who has an interest in being in the outdoors to not be to, for that not to be a space where it's like, well, get, uh, good luck because you're totally vulnerable. The park uh, is not going to protect you. Um, they're not going to protect you if so- it's happened to someone else. They're not going to tell you about that. They're so they're not going to tell you to come that day. Yeah, like all of that stuff. There's stuff that you can't control, but I feel like there's a lot that could have been controlled and that you can control that makes safe spaces for more types of people. And if even if you don't care about hiking, just think about how that plays into other spaces where 
it's just taken for granted that like, oh, this kind of person isn't allowed in this kind of space. Like, look at your life, look at the lives of the people you care about and go, should, should we is there should we be doing something to make this a safer space for these people? Like, I feel like mm-hmm. that's a big picture conversation that stretches far beyond like hiking in a natural uh, na- a national park. You know what I mean? That's why I'm getting my 10 acre farm. I'm just going to camp back there. But it's like with anything, it's like people should be safe going to a park. People should be yeah. safe going to school. People should be safe pay- taking public transportation. People should be safe. It just, you know, it's... Going bowling. Hello. Yeah. What happened last night? You guys are following that story, right? It's so No, sad. what happened? It's the shooting in Maine. The, the oh, in God. Maine. It's 22 people, I think, are yeah. dead. I yeah. haven't looked at the news. I haven't looked yeah. at the news today at all. Or well, last night. Yeah, it's a lot. I um, go through phases Jesus like that where I just yeah. play catch up for a day. It's like, oh, I didn't look at my phone for a day. What did I miss? Yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. Oh, God. Janet, first of all, thank yes. you for bringing this case yeah. because I think there is a certain amount of interest in covering very well-known cases because we all kind of have a theory. But also just there are cases. I mean, this is a bit older, but there are, for one reason or another, cases that aren't as like for lack of a better word, mainstream. Yeah. It just is really nice to get our eyes and ears, especially a case that seems so eminently solvable. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for bringing that to our Ravia and Ellen solve the case world. And thank you um, for can having you please, me. first of all, you're lovely. I'm so glad we got to meet you. And um, I please tell our listeners what you're up to, where they can find you, how they can support you. We have such supportive listeners, and I'm sure they'll all want to connect with you. Sure. Um, well, I spend uh, most of my time avoiding social media, um, but <laughs> I try to get on to Instagram and post. I'm at the JV Club. That's the name of that podcast where I talk about uh, people's teen years. Robbie has done it. Ellen will absolutely do it. Um, uh, I've had just you know like all the people from the show community almost like just a lot of stuff that you know, like a lot of fandoms that you're like oh wow I didn't know that you know Allison Brie wet her pants while she was competing in a um, gymnastics competition when she was <laughs> in school um, really good teenage stories from like a lot of really just people you're like thank you for sharing that because now I know you're a human being too yeah. um, so you can check that out uh, we talked about Bob's podcast you can um, uh, listen to my podcast about Avatar and Korra if you are into that it's a podcast I do for Nickelodeon it's really fun just talking to people about making cool stuff um, in that world and yeah that's those are and I'm on TikTok I don't know I'll put like three videos up in a month and feel like I am should be the president no. of the United States and then I won't look at TikTok for six months so <laughs> oh, good luck Janet. with that Still better Ellen you are the queen of like yeah. everything everything you do on TikTok which by the way I also don't look at TikTok I literally only went because someone was like you have to see Ellen's TikTok and I went and I was it's like so funny I need her to make my TikToks for me. She's doing this is what TikTok is for. She's doing all the things that it's for. Just put a get a little picture of me, <laughs> do all the same things, but just put my little with a popsicle stick, put my face on all of it and then I'll also be amazing no, on TikTok. Well, I go in phases too. I go in like, you know, creator world phases, but also I'm like you're actually working. And I'm just sitting on my couch, like putting on funny filters. So I think I think you're set, Janet. <laughs> Jess feels one like of the hardest me, working so women I'm I'm sure, I know. As, yeah, as far as I, yeah, exactly. As far as I'm concerned, you are working if you are making TikTok co- content. So mm-hmm. that doesn't count. We, that doesn't count. And Rabia, obviously, we all, everyone wants Rabia to. I don't know. Just fix everything all the time. That's got to be a lot of weight that you feel. Ellen doesn't. Ellen. Ellen has like, given what up. What would Robbia do? What would Robbia do? I <laughs> genuinely given- ask myself that. 
Genuinely, I, I genuinely you, I like in this situation. Oh no, I said Ellen has given up on me learning TikTok. I mean, I think you taught me oh. the green screen about a year ago. I did it like once, yeah. and I'm like, I don't remember. Like that gray cell has long left my head. Um, but thank <laughs> she, you so much, yeah, Janet. She'll text me. Yeah, something ridiculous. But anyway, I cannot believe we all actually sat down because the I amount know. of times we have been meaning to do this. Yes. You are the loveliest. We are so happy that you got to join us. We'll see oh, you in the woods. I'm so Good. honored to be on the show. It's wonderful. And yeah, I'm just delighted. I'm so happy. And right. stay tuned for our reality show called <laughs> Three Little Ladies in the Woods. Yep. Three little, little ladies, bindles, like, just a little a stick. We'll be like, "This is what I thought camping was," and it'll be like a hobo stick, a little bindle yeah. with like a little sack. All I brought is yeah. granola. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I'm coming with an entourage. Look for it on Netflix. Bring them. All right, and thank you all for being here for Rabia and Ellen solve the case. Please connect with Janet and follow everything that she is doing. And also with us, you can find us on socials. You can find us on all platforms at Rabia and Ellen. You can also email us at Rabia and Ellen at Gmail. You can send us a speak pipe message about anything that you heard on this episode. Questions you may have. You may want to know how Janet gets her bangs so perfect this mm. early in the morning. You Girls, can are they clip on yourself. That's the key. Can... The key is just cut it yourself. <laughs> no. No one knows your hair like you do www.speakpipe.com slash solve the case and don't forget to join our Facebook group that is where we talk about everything true crime everything that you know comes up in the world good and bad we have great conversations we have a wonderful community there you can find us at Rabia and Ellen solve the case and if you would like to support us further and get bonus content you can find us on Patreon www.patreon slash Rabia and Ellen and if you want to come and record with us and hang out and see all the backstage Mishagas, join our star witnesses. Until then. Ellen, can I just say, every time you do that, like in one breath, it's like magic to me. Do you actually have a script in front of you? I don't remember a single URL connected to our show. (laughs) I'm like, it's back, it's slash solve the case. Nope, it's Robbie and Ellen. Nope, it's. That's why I I tried to derail you by talking about how I cut my own hair. That's (laughs) That's an all time low. That's no, no, I love it. That's why I just do show. it, Rabia. I just do, do it, it, and I don't. I used to try and bounce, and I'd be like, "Tell them what our, tell them what our Instagram is." She's like, "It's solve the case." No, ma'am. It's Rabia and Ellen solve the case. No, ma'am. So now I just do it. Listen, we all have our skills. I'll give the closeout speech. I'm writing a script. I want to get this one. I love you guys. I love you both. Have a great weekend, and thank you again, Janet. And thank you guys, our star witnesses. I remember that. Yeah, thanks, star witnesses. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye, guys.